0: Welcome to the L3 podcast, also known as Love, Lies, and Lifestyles. No living person is exempt from love, the lies, and living a particular lifestyle, from sex to building wealth. This show is solely to entertain, enlighten, and empower. All topics discussed are strictly the opinion of the host and the guests that appear on the show. Here's your host, Dr. K. So welcome everyone, I'm so excited. I have a special guest in studio with me today, Leah Fellenstein, who is a mental health therapist. I'm excited to engage in this conversation with her today. As we know, there's so much social social unrest in the country right now around race. And I think it's so important for us to come together and speak to people that we might find on the other side. And I find oftentimes we all stay within our own circles and I find that we're preaching to the choir. We can't get to the heart of knowing what it is that truly disturbs people and how we actually start to rebuild and start the healing process in the Black community if we are not having conversations with people outside of our community. Um, So I'm excited to welcome Leah. So welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, And let me tell you something. This is where it begins. This is where it begins to be able to engage in conversations um, with people who are not directly your favorite fives in your phone book, right, Mm -hmm. or people who you might just work with and that's it, and you haven't had any other conversations or engagement with them. So I'm so excited that you were willing to come on the show to talk about race relations in this country and help to clarify and seek understanding about where the, the anger and the anguish is coming from in the Black community
1: yeah yeah i think if i want to understand and learn more then i have to put myself in positions to have different conversations and uncomfortable conversations um and so
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely and so i mean let's just get right to it right so a lot of questions that i received um not just from you but i hear from other people And when i say other people i'm not just talking about um white people, but I'm talking about people who identify as white. I've gotten this question from many people around the rioting and the looting and not understanding why that is happening. Um, and, And so I just want to jump in about that process and what your takeaway has been from it or your misunderstanding or understanding around the rioting and looting that you've seen happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I've understood like, There's clearly intense emotions at play. People are feeling like they don't have a voice. So, if there's a part of me that understands the like rioting and the uh, how it turns to violence, but then the continuation of it, I guess, has been part of me doesn't understand that or or make the connection, um, and certainly doesn't understand how that's going to create change um, going forward.
0: Yeah, Um, and so that's a a very valid point of understanding. And so, what has happened? forever in this country, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's been 400 years that Black people have been enslaved in this country, whether that is the physical enslavement or the mental enslavement. This country has been built on the, the looting, the rioting, the stealing. And what has happened over those 400 years is that Black people, has nev- we have never been seen as human in this country. Uh, I mean, we've been labeled as three-fifths of a human. Right? Like, how do you have three fifths as a person? Right? And so, that continuation of oppression, uh, our bodies have been looted, our minds have been looted. I mean, the things that we've created have been looted, placed in museums all over the world. I mean, this has been ongoing. And so, when you see the, the rioting and the protesting that's happening, it's not just because of the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. That was the linchpin. That propelled the fire, right? This was already brewing in the black community. And I think we we've got to a point where we just can take only but so much. Right. Mm-hmm. We have been looking and fighting for equality. So so where you see the rioting and looting happening, it's because people are angry. When we peacefully protested, people didn't hear us, right? When you think back to Selma, that was a peaceful protest. And they ended up uh, unleashing dogs, hosing, beating, it became the bloodiest Sunday in American history, right? Mm-hmm. And that was from a peaceful protest. Yeah. So clearly we are not being heard. So when we peacefully protest, we're called names. We're still told that this is un-American, that this isn't right. So at this point, it's like, well, if you're not gonna hear us when we're talking to you and trying to show you peacefully, we must do something different to get into your hearing to understand that we will not tolerate the injustice against us anymore. Mm-hmm. You will not use us to entertain you anymore. You will not use us to build your property, to build your company, to take our IP and claim it as your own anymore. So, when people, when you see the rioting and looting, what ended up happening was that people are like, this is not ours. We don't own any of this. You see, what people misunderstood and, 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 The conversations that I've had with people is when people use the rioting and the looting as an excuse to say, well, I can't now stand up for Black Lives Matter because you're rioting and looting, that means they never cared about Black lives. Because stores, the the stuff in the stores can be replaced. These businesses have insurance. You can reshelve and restock those products. You cannot reshelve a life. And so we know that your business matters to you. We know your money matters to you. So we're going to hit you where it hurts for you to start paying attention. And that's how we were able to get people to start paying attention.
1: Yes, that makes more sense. I think part of me, I part of my, um, so I live outside the Cleveland area. So there's definitely some Mm -hmm. riots and a lot of storefronts that were damaged and was looking through the businesses going, but a lot of these businesses, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but are minority owned or you know, I know a woman of of color had a business that was completely destroyed. So it's not like they were just picking certain businesses. It's all the businesses. So it's the general statement is what Mm -hmm. is being looked for. Is that right? Right.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right in that. Right. And so there are areas where black owned businesses were burned. And so, you know, you have people that, and I'm gonna be honest with you, right. A lot of people went out not to intentionally riot and Mm -hmm. loot uh, and there's so many videos out there where you see protesters telling the looters and the like, stop doing that. You're going to ruin the message. Like, they're yeah. videoing people and there are videos of, of some of the protesters stopping the people from looting. Mm-hmm. Um, there were videos that came out of cops in plain clothes doing the looting. And, and it's like, these things are just so disturbing. So it, it thwarts the message of what we're trying to portray when you're sending people in undercover to actually loot and then turn around and say, see, I, I told you those black people are violent. You know They're violent. Look at what they're doing. And you have people that don't do research and then anything that they see online, they take as truth. Oh, yeah. I, and that's what's so scary in this country is that you have people that anything they see, they're like, well, it was online or I heard it on the news. It must be true right and it's like it's not and so that's why it's important for you know just as what you and i are doing right now is having these conversations about these things and these misunderstandings and and understanding why people are so angry we live this out and i'll tell you leah this is for a black person we live this out every single day right i mean it's just no matter where we go um and and when I, i say black people now because I often hear Trump refer to us as, as everyone is African American. And I don't know how no one's ever corrected him. Every Black person is not African American, right? So, Black is the umbrella, and then we have the, the different uh, groups that fall under. So, we have African American, we have people from the Caribbean, we have Africans, right? We, so, we have Pan Africanism, we have all of those ranges. And, but he just immediately comes, everyone is African American, right? And just knowing and understanding the difference, right? We're all Black. And at the end of the day, even if, I'm, if I come straight from Africa or I come from the Caribbean, we're still Black dealing with the same foolishness. But what has happened in our community is that they use that to put us against each other. Right? So when you, you think back to the beginning of time with the Willie Lynch papers, The Making of a Slave, have you ever read that? I have not. So I, that is definitely a reading that I strongly recommend. It will help paint a strong picture for you. It's a quick read, too a strong picture for you of how the mental enslavement began with Black people, right? And so the whole premise is is controlling the mind. And if you control a person's mind, you don't have to worry about their behavior, because the behavior will follow based on the mind being controlled. And that's why you see so much of these false narratives spread in the media, because they know that many people aren't going to go fact check and do the research, Mm -hmm. right? And so for us, over time, We live, our blackness is in everything we do, right? So the racism is not just interpersonal, but it's institutionalized as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's just hard to wrap our brain. As a white person, I think it's hard to wrap our brain around and comprehend and understand. Um, I think growing up, I always just assumed most people's lives had the same like, I don't know, it's taught, like we treat everyone equally. So I assumed everyone was treated equally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just moving into adulthood and understanding the older I'm getting that that's just because that was my experience and my understanding of life doesn't mean that that was everyone's mm-hmm. um, and that that's been critical in trying to understand what's happening with the, the racial divide in our country. Think
0: about, I mean, think back to your school and experience. How diverse was it? Wasn't diverse at all.
1: I grew up in a predominantly white community. I had in my graduating class of a hundred kids, there was one person of color Mm -hmm. um, in my class. (laughs) So, I mean, like it wasn't, and my parents actually did a good job of exposing us to different cultures. Like we always had people from all over the world staying at our house. Mm -hmm. So like I was pretty culturally sensitive. So I thought that that made me racially sensitive. Mm. And like, I as I'm getting work understanding, I think it, that was actually been a handicap
0: in, in thinking that I was more sensitive than I was. Um, so, I mean, when you think about that, right, like that was intentionally designed by yeah. the government to segregate schools. Right. As you know, especially during Jim Crow era, mm-hmm. um, Brown versus Board of Education and having to go through that process to desegregate schools. But even after that ruling took place, schools are still segregated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I can tell you didn't go to school in the 1960s. So. No. <laughs> no, the 90s. <laughs> right. And so to think about even in the 90s, right, segregation still exists. But it wasn't something that you had to think about as a white female.
1: Like I never thought about race. It was, right. never, I
0: mean, it was never on my head. mind. Right, and that, and, when, and that's the thing as we have these conversations with more white people or white identifying people is that you don't have to think about these things, mm-hmm. right? Like that was the intentional design of the oppression of racism um, in this country, right? So for black people, for us, racism is ingrained in everything we do. Every day we wake up, as soon as we walk out the door, Uh, I mean, to know that I can possibly leave my home today and not make it back home from taking a jog because I'm black, right? Like, even when we go on vacation, we literally have to look up the temperature of racism in that country before we book a trip, right? Like, it's everywhere we go. If we want to do a tour, we have to look at, well, what's going to be done on this tour? Who is likely to go on this tour? What kind of new community it's going to be in? All of these things we have to think about when we apply for jobs, when we go to school, when we eat at restaurants. I mean, there are times we go when we walk in and we're the only black people who step in and we leave, right? Like it's in everything we do, we are just trained from the beginning of time, you know, that our skin color is what's gonna prevent us from being able to do certain things or, or hinders our ability to have full access. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, yes, we've made progress over time, but we're still, every time we take two steps forward, it's almost like we're taking another two steps back. We take another step forward, we take two steps back. And so it's just a continuous, um, the, the vicious cycle in our community that we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. You know, and to see, I don't know, have you been able to see uh, the protests of white people mocking the lynching of George Floyd? I haven't seen that but that's disgusting
1: absolutely they're they're
0: calling it the knee challenge right and you you have white people who are kneeling on each other's neck wearing i can't breathe t-shirts and they're saying see i'm i'm able to breathe and it's just that's horrific horrific absolutely horrific and so these are the things you know when i think about the conversations of you that you and i are having I think about as you you're reading now white fragility and thinking about what are some of those things that you can take away to go back to the circles that you live within and start to have these conversations Mm -hmm. because we're all not far removed from people who are doing these challenges. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that definitely,
1: that's been something that's been heavy on my heart the last couple of weeks, especially in talking to my own kids. Um, Like race was just not something that was frequently discussed. I think not because my parents were uncaring individuals, but because it just wasn't in our, it wasn't in our awareness. Um, And, and I guess like my beginning to understand how that perpetuates racism. Like I kind of Mm -hmm. always thought, well, racism is overtly doing something harmful to someone else Mm -hmm. because of their race. And it's so much more than that, that I just didn't even, and so I would have adamantly been like, I'm not racist. I've Uh never Uh heard a black person. I would never say something mean to someone just because they're black. Like I would, you know, and I think that's how most white people, um, at least in the area where I live and have grown up, would say the same things. Like that's how my friends would all talk about it. And I want my kids to have a different, um, different understanding than than I grew up with, so that they can be more sensitive, so that there can be change, because I think we can't, if we keep doing the same thing, nothing is gonna be different,
0: Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Uh, What are some of the conversations that you've been able to have with your son?
1: Um, So recently we drove through, there's a small kind of affluent white community close to where we live, and we were driving through it to go somewhere else, and everything was boarded up because there was going to be um, a protest, was scheduled for the next day. Um, it had been organized by a high school student, um, but they were concerned that there was gonna be rioting and looting. And um, so my son was looking through the car windows, like kind of, you know, making faces. And I was like, are you wondering what's going on, buddy? And he was like, yeah, why is there boards everywhere? So we had a, you know, pretty in-depth and upfront conversation about um, the riots and the protests and George Floyd and what caused them. And mm-hmm. and I was later on thinking about it at home, um, after I'd put him to bed going, Oh my gosh, my son is seven. And this is the first time I've really had like a race conversation with him. I mean, not that we've never had it. He has, you know, one of his closest friends is black. And so we've had conversations about race, but in the reality of like, this is sometimes what, you know, what people do because of race and, and him saying, well, what about my friend? Is someone going to hurt her? Um, And me not being able to say no to that, like that, broke my heart that I couldn't just be like, no, buddy, she's safe, you know, like, I want to say she's safe, but is that the reality of our current climate? You know, I can't say no. Um, So we talked about, like, standing up for her if he's ever in a situation where, you know, people are being rude rude or mean to her because um, her skin color is a different skin color than his and um, just starting those conversations now and making sure he grows up with a perspective that just because he's not doing something over doesn't mean he's not still participating and that you know we have to be taking active steps in being anti-racist versus just being indifferent um so
0: Yes, you are absolutely right. I'm so glad you mentioned indifferent because a lot of people don't understand there is a such thing as, as indifferent racism, right? Like there are different types of racism and they all go hand in hand together, right? When you talk about the interpersonal, the institutionalized and the indifferent, you're right. It's not just running around and saying like, well, I would not I would have never said that. I've never said that in my life. So I'm not a racist, Phew, right? And then like checking off that box. But it's like, well, what are you standing around watching it happen? And yeah. saying nothing because your silence equals complicit, right? You being complicit if you are silent. And so, teaching your son, like, if this happens to your friend, and it's sad to say, but it's like when this, is, when this happens to your friend, yeah. Um, yeah. this is how you stand up and know it's not okay to be indifferent, right? And so, with racism, it's either you are, you're not, you're for it, you're not, right? Yeah. There's no in between. You don't say I'm in between races, right? Like that's just, it yeah. that that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> no. it's either if, you're, if you're not for it and you're an ally. And one of the things I've been working with my friends on and is how to move from the role of ally to abolitionist, right? And so you, what you're teaching your son right now is how to move from the role of ally to abolitionist, right? So just even saying to him like, yeah, that's your friend. I can't make the promise that nothing's going to happen. There. But when you see this happen, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. So he's now moving out of that role of an ally, like, hey, I do believe in like equal rights and, and so forth, but now here's how I'm going to help protect and stand up for her and actually make my voice heard and know that the privilege as a, um, a male, a white male in this country, he has the ultimate power and privilege in this country, right? He was literally born into that, regardless of socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. right? Like you just, as a white person, so even when, and White people say, well, you know, I grew up poor and it's like, we're not denying that, right? There are poor yeah. white people. In this, but because you are white, even if you're a poor white, you still have access to privilege and power that a person who is middle class and black still would not have the level of access to.
1: And I think a lot, like, I know if uh, five years ago, even if you had said white privilege, it would have rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have bristled and been like, I've worked hard. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> like nothing was handed to me. Um, and I think because I just didn't really understand it. And right. I never took the time to go like, well, what do you really mean, white privilege? I just automatically right. was offended and defensive. Um, yeah. And if we're going to, like, have a different, a change, then we have to stop being defensive. Mm-hmm. and and start going okay like to help me understand and um you know conversations with people go, of me going oh like what do you mean you have to drive 20 minutes to get the right hair products for your daughter like <laughs> they don't sell them at our store near our house like what you know like and and mm-hmm. the fact that I could go seven years without having an in-depth racial conversation with my son because I didn't have to teach him some you know that it was certain things were dangerous because of the color of his skin, like that to me was like a smack in the face of like, oh, this is what they're talking about when they say white privilege. Um, I think that's, I mean, I've understood it in smaller pieces before, but I think a couple of weeks ago, that was like one of the first times I really understood mm. it um, in a bigger way. And I think it's no longer making me bristle. It's making me go, okay, so like what other areas am I unaware of? Yes. So that I can have these conversations within my groups, but with others so that it's, I'm not perpetuating the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, you're absolutely right. And a lot of people don't understand, like, you know, being racist doesn't mean riding by on your bicycle and seeing a black person and calling them a nigger, right? Like, yeah. that's not, re- like, it's so interpersonal and 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 the interpersonal yes that's when it does come out and you're just like it's overt right it's just so but the racism is mainly covert because it's institutionalized mm-hmm. right it's literally ingrained in black girls that we're not pretty enough uh and our hair is kinky and that we should relax our hair and make it straight and that we should lighten our skin right there's a lot of bleaching cream that is sold in our community beauty supply stores bleaching cream bleaching cream like to to make your skin
1: lighter
0: yes Mm. yes see i don't even know that exists right right and these are the things that you don't have to think of so it's like these images um the graphics and the racism is just embedded in Everything, the graphics of what we see on TV, right? Like naturally just being told, like being skinnier, uh, straighter hair, and lighter when you look at who models are, right? Like you haven't seen us in that industry. And so it's just all these images that constantly tell us you are not good enough. You never will be good enough. You're not pretty enough. Um, I wear my hair in a natural state and I will never forget. There were so many people that told me, if you lock your hair, you'll never get a job. You'll never move up. That's not an acceptable appearance. There was a law put on the books in California preventing hair discrimination, right? To ban wow. hair discrimination. And that law didn't get put in place until about, I would probably say, almost just a year ago. Mm-hmm. It, so it's just, those are the things that people don't understand, like our every- Waking moment is about our skin color. Literally, when I walk into a store, I make sure my hands are always visible. Like mm-hmm. this is the stuff that's always ingrained in us. I make yeah. sure I'm not bending down to look suspicious. I mean, you know, all these thoughts to to throw up uh, to make sure to to make it look like that I am. Unarmed and that I am defenseless, like everything, so that this store owner or anyone else in the store doesn't feel threatened, right? Like we're constantly being told to make yourself feel less threatened, right, for the comfort of white people, right? Mm-hmm. When have you seen that that Amy Cooper uh, video, the woman in Central Park who called nine one one on a man watching bird watching? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is a perfect example of how we live every day. He was bird watching, yeah, right? And, and, but when you look at the video, she knew, right? She weaponized her color and knew that I needed to say an African-American man is threatening me. Why couldn't it just be a man is threatening me?
1: Yeah.
0: You see, and those, that's the thing that people don't understand. She knew if she said African-American that the police will be there very quickly to apprehend him. He could have lost his life. Mm. All because he asked her to follow the rules of the park. Yeah, that's, that's
1: not okay. And I think it's like it wouldn't even... I mean, I don't know how I would describe someone if I was calling the police, but those things are never things that have ever crossed my mind or it was even aware it crossed other people's mind until I was like in college. I went to a Walmart with a black male student and we walked in and like the minute we walked in the store, two, two employees started following us around and I was like, what is going on? And he's like, oh, no, this is every time I come to Walmart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean this is every time you come to Walmart? Someone follows you every time you come to Walmart. Mm-hmm. He was the sweetest guy. Like, he was super nice and not, like, I didn't think he looked threatening. Um, and he was like, oh, no, I always get followed at stores. And yeah. he was, like, very nonchalant about it. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I it kind of blew my mind. I was like, yeah. do you get followed at stores? Like, anything that's just, like, there's so much that it just – we don't I don't know and it's my I need to know and I need to educate myself and I need to educate my children and um understand the different like I can't imagine having to do that every time I walk into a store that would be incredibly frustrating and of course people are angry Mm -hmm. um because not okay
0: yeah let me tell you it's a mantra for us in the black community like every black person who has children has given the script to their child of what to do if stopped by the police and even in following that script we are still the the likelihood of us coming out alive is so small right and and it's bizarre that police are trained right how to deal with these kind of uh situations they are trained but civilians aren't trained how to handle a gun in your face but then we the victims are always painted as the perpetrator, we're always painted as the troublemaker, we're always painted as the aggressor. There's a gun in my face. (laughs) Naturally a person will panic. No one that I know is going to be like, oh my God, there's a gun in my face. Oh my God, that's yeah, yeah, they're going to stay calm on that. Yeah. Right. No one is going to stay calm under that pressure. Meanwhile, we're expected to always stay calm, never make a move, and always be okay with the the brutality that we encounter. So when we talk about defunding the police and we have people saying, oh my gosh, this is an outrage, we shouldn't defund the police, they don't understand what that means. Defunding the police means instead of us putting $500 million into police departments in some cities, right? I mean, the amount of money, millions, I mean, millions of dollars are going into police departments to get more combat gear. We could be putting that money into our community, for more mental health services. And you as a mental health therapist, I'm sure you can speak more to about <laughs> yeah. the services that people need. Needed. Right. So, so think about like everything that has been done over time, whenever Black people, whenever we get attached to it, it becomes criminal. So what this society has done, what this country has done, is they now use police to solve issues that counselors and mentors and therapists could solve.
1: Yeah.
0: So, you know, a person that has a drug addiction is now a criminal, right? Unless you're white. If you're white, now the nation is in crisis, right, with the whole opioid epidemic. But when crack and heroin was ravaging the black community in the 80s, it became a crime. It didn't become an addiction and a sickness and we need to get people help. It's now a crime. But in the white community, it's a sickness and they need help. You see, And these are the things that people don't pay attention to and then they start to, oh no there's no issue with race yeah and <laughs> race is embedded in everything we do homelessness is now a crime we don't say let's take money and make sure we get housing for homeless people in this country we're supposed to be the richest nation in the world but the amount of homeless people you see across this country is astounding instead yeah. what what happens they send the police into these areas and arrest these people
1: so so supporting so can we support black lives matter and law enforcement at the same time then, or is that not, if you're supporting, if you're, you're, like I had a friend who posted something in support of law enforcement after she had posted a bunch of stuff about Black Lives Matter, and she just got like torn to shreds on social media, um, saying like, you're distracting from the conversation. And she was like, I was just saying like, I feel for some of these officers who are good men, who are good officers, and they're, not all of them are horrible people. So, yes, there's an institutional situation that's a problem, and there's a lot of corruption in in some of that, but that doesn't mean all of them are bad. So what do we, as a white person, like, I I don't know what to do with that dichotomy.
0: Right. That's a great question. And so here's the thing. When you say, I support Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. and then say, but I support the police, it sounds contradictory, and I'll tell you why. Now, saying I am in support of police getting training, I am in support of there being some laws on the books to protect police officers who speak up against their colleagues who are engaging in these practices, right? That's different. It's hard to mm-hmm. say you are in support of police, right, and Black lives when when we're constantly seeing Black people die at the hands of police, yeah. right? It's like saying, like, I'm in support of protecting the welfare of children, and then putting a park in the middle of a a community where known pedophiles live, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, whoa, you can't be in support of both in that same manner, right? So it's like, we all know that every single cop is not crooked, right? We all know every single cop is not out and is racist and out to kill Black people. Mm -hmm. However, when we have police that we identify as good, not speaking up and standing there watching this you become oh, yeah. it, right so that's this that's okay. where exactly so this is where i'm in support of we need to get these laws on the books where uh police officers can feel safe to come out because and i'll tell you the truth yeah. like i know police officers enough and they're in fear of retribution from their colleagues yeah. right? and you have those that do want to come out and they're like well what's going to happen if i do come out like this is you know are they going to come after me? And what's going to happen to my job? And you know, am I going to be blacklisted in the department? It's fear a lot of times why people don't say anything. Okay. Right. So we need to put these things in place uh, when, in order to support those cops who are good cops, to step forward and not have to fear retribution of stepping up and speaking out when they see these heinous acts against civilians. Mm-hmm. Right, like So I being more know.
1: specific in what we say we support. So just like the blanket statement of I support the
0: police is insensitive.
1: For Listen, the reasons you just said,
0: absolutely. And I'm going to tell you the truth, right? It's like somebody saying, "Like, well, I support." It's it's no different than the "All Lives Matter" statement. You can't say, "Yes, I believe all lives matter," but then say, "Well, I don't believe in LGBTQIA plus being able to get married and, and their rights aren't important," right? You can't say, "I believe in all lives matter," but then you see immigrants uh, being detained and treated horrifically in these detention centers and saying, "Well, they shouldn't have crossed here legally. They deserve to be beaten and tortured." It's like what? <laughs> you can't you can't pick and choose oh all lives matter except right oh it's either all lives matter or it doesn't yeah. and that's what we do in this country we say i support and i'm in but oh because you did this because you came here legally you don't deserve to be treated like a human right and so even with the the protests and we sing, you get people that are like oh yeah of course i believe in black lives but oh you stole a shirt out the store oh no then that forget about it, I can't support you anymore because you stole a shirt. It's like, how are you comparing the two? Yeah. It's, you, you, it just makes no sense, and you're contradicting when you say that, which means you never stood for Black Lives Matter. And, and what people don't understand, and this was a whole thing with the media, we mm-hmm. never said only Black Lives Matter. Because we've never been seen as human in this country and three-fifths as a person, when those laws were written, the Constitution was not written for Black people. Right? It was solely meant for the protection and power and privilege and access for white people only. White males, let's be clear. because yeah, all yeah, of it, right, right, so white women even went through their moments mm-hmm. of suffrage. right? But at the end of the day, it was all for the protection of white males first. Right? So the media is the one who started the whole All Lives Matter. And we never said that we didn't care. We know all lives matter. But yeah. for in this country, when they say all all, never includes Black people. Mm -hmm. That's why we had to pull out, well, Black lives matter. Because our lives have not mattered, and you continuously see this played out. Perfect example, right? Black people represent 12% of the U.S. population. Mm -hmm. But 33% of Black people are incarcerated. How can we represent 12% but represent nearly triple the amount of people (laughs) who are incarcerated? Yeah. Right. That just makes no sense. Why? Because everything just being black is criminal in this country. Mm-hmm. Right? So your friend talking about being followed in Walmart, yeah. that's, that's a norm. We are automatically criminalized by our skin color. And the darker you are, the harsher your sentences are in prison as well in the court system. And that, there's been tons of research behind that, that the darker you are, the more harsh of a sentence you get.
1: It's just ridiculous. I think, and this is the thing, like, that I don't want to say I didn't think it existed. I think I didn't think it existed the intensity exists. exists. Um, that I was, like, uh, I've, okay, a couple of times I've said to a friend, um, and like, it's 2015. How could someone say that? It's 2018. Mm-hmm. How come someone say that? Like, because uh, I think, uh, yeah, it just wasn't taught the way it needed to be taught to me, I guess, yeah. or I'm, I'm not even sure where the breakdown completely is, but yeah, I've missed it a lot of my life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you in our community, you see, and this is where the misunderstanding around when I start talking about the police in in our community, you see in the white community, the police is seen as protection. Yeah. In the black community, the police is seen as the enemy. The police is synonymous with the KKK for us. So for us, we are trained and taught from a young, you do not call the police. You do not engage with the police. You do not talk to the police. If there's an issue in your community, you solve it. You don't call the police because it could be something minor that you call for and it always gets escalated. I don't know a single black person. I personally don't know a single black person who has ever called the police and the situation didn't get escalated when it didn't need to. So for us, the police is not protection. Right. And so there's a level of fear. And where you know, are you supposed to go? To each other. Yeah. Because we know once we call the police, whatever you're calling for is going to get blown out of proportion and escalated to unnecessary levels. And someone most likely is going to leave in handcuffs. When sometimes you might just need the mediator, the police to be a mediator. You know, I'll tell you, I remember when I moved from New York to Florida and um, I moved into a community that was mainly white, mm-hmm. and or I should say the building I lived in was mainly white, right I mean, for the most part, the community uh, it was it was mixed, but the percentage of people living there was predominantly white or white identifying mm-hmm. and I remember walking I lived close enough to um, a shopping center where I could walk to the supermarket, walk to some of the other stores so I would walk oftentimes and I noticed the police would say hi and that's it and I always had a fear even saying hello because I'm like oh my god they're going to question me about something what's like there was this fear that just constantly lived with me and I'm like why are they talking to me something's wrong right and and so because in our community they're not they're They're not coming to say hi to you. They're coming they're, in, in our mind. Whenever we see police, we're like, oh, they're going to go harass somebody and arrest somebody or kill somebody. Right. Those are the three things that are immediately going through our mind. Right. And the white community is like, oh, they're going to go take care of the bad guy. Right? They're going to go yeah. and ensure protection. That's what we teach our kids. Exactly. And that's not the case for us. Yeah. And it took me a while. I lived in that building for about uh, three years. And it took me a while to get used to the police just saying hi. And that's it. And I remember saying to my boyfriend, I said, oh, my gosh. Like, in fact, he actually one night went out, walked to the store, and I was terrified. It was 11 o'clock at night. And I said, don't. I, I remember begging him not to go because I was like, I'm scared you won't make it back. You are a black man in this community. They probably won't believe that we can afford to live here. And. He was like, no, I think I'm going to be fine. I said, I guarantee you you're going to get stopped. He was like, no, I'll be fine. He got stopped twice in a 10-minute walk. Wow. Twice. And questioned where he was going. And when he said, you know, I'm just going to the store, officer. You know, I live right here. <laughs> I just, you know, took out his eye. He's like, I, I have ID. I can show you proof of my address. And, you know, the officer was like, okay. And he showed us and he's like, oh, you really live here. He's like, yes, sorry, I do. And he's like, oh, okay, then have a great night. Right. Yeah. And immediately we were treated differently when they started. Cause after a while we started knowing who the officers were in that community when they realized like, oh, if you live here, you must be a good person. Right. And, and and I just said to him, I'm like, "How many of our white neighbors have been stopped walking to the store asking why are they in this community?" And so that's, that's something. Right. Right? And that's something that we live with every. It's a normal practice. And so this is why now we are at our breaking point. What is the impact on the human brain when a person has these open wounds that never close and then they get repeated lashes? to those open wounds oh it's well it's
1: trauma so then it's then it's disrupting the like how you perceive danger and so like which makes you kind of hypervigilant and on alert i would assume it increases anxiety i'm not pulling from research but just in my experience with trauma like it always increases anxiety probably depression um yeah well, there's i'm sure there's a Drastic Mm -hmm. impact on mental health from that.
0: Uh, So, in your professional experience, um, how do you begin to support or treat someone with trauma?
1: Um, it's a lot of like helping them unpack it. And you know, like what I tell my clients who have been through a a traumatic experience is that you can talk around your trauma and that's good and that's helpful, but until you talk through your trauma, you can't bring healing. So like your, your brain needs to be able to organize what happened and it can't do that until you talk through the individual like steps and incidents that occurred in detail, like in detail of what it felt like, sounded like smelled like mm. uh, as much detail as possible and until you do that your brain doesn't know what to do with the information and what it, so it just shoves it in every far-fetched corner and it pops up without any control um, and then when you talk through a memory through a traumatic experience it allows your brain to organize it and gives you then more control more control over how you pull it out more control over how you put it away more control and over how you emotionally respond um, so it's like talking through the the details um, mm-hmm. of the experiences, so that you can have
0: understanding and healing. So, my question to you, right, is: in the Black community, there is a lot of trauma, yeah. and we're often told by white supremacists, right? Uh, we need to get over it. It's, you know, so what? It's been four hundred years. Get over it. And just hearing you, right? We we can't move forward until there's acknowledgement. of that pain and we're given spaces to talk through, we know that you personally haven't been a slave owner, right? Like we, And so when we have white identifying people go, well, I didn't do those things. Those are my ancestors. I'm not responsible for them. No, you're not responsible for them. However, if you are benefiting from the resources that have been stolen and bequeathed to you, Right, then you're just as guilty. That's what people don't understand, right? And it's it's like that even in any type of crime, right? If you go with your friend to a store and your friend robs the clerk, mm-hmm. right, and the police come, they don't just take your friend, they take you. Yeah. Right? That's what people don't understand. So when you talked about talking to your son of how to speak up, that's what we need the support from people who identify as white, right? So in thinking about that, when you said like giving that space to actually talk through what happened what do you think uh people who identify as white what do you think they can do to truly move out of that role from ally to abolitionist to support their black friends colleagues neighbors uh, whoever those people are in around them
1: um i know for myself like in the past a lot of times it's just been fear that's prevented me from asking questions or learning more or um, I heard recently a a pastor saying like guilt is not a strategy for racism. Like you can't just say, Oh, that's that's so horrible. Um, and I think in the past I've been like, Oh, that's bad, but I'm not doing it. So, mm. you know, I didn't hurt that person. So it's like, oh, I feel bad, but it has to be more than just feeling bad. We have to do mm-hmm. something different. Um, and it and I think a lot of times like I've been afraid to ask questions or say things because I don't want to create another barrier. I don't want to like in ignorance say something that is going to be like make the situation worse so then i've said nothing um and so i think we have to get past that discomfort um yes. i tell my clients all the time like change is uncomfortable you have to walk into the discomfort for change to happen yes. um, you have to live in the discomfort for change to happen and so if we want change in the racial climate of our country then we have to step into the uncomfortable and be in the uncomfortable we have to be uncomfortable with things that are privileges as white people that we've been unaware of or taken advantage of or like i just haven't even known and been aware of them like they're there i they have been a privilege but i just didn't even recognize them Mm -hmm. as a privilege and learning that they are is uncomfortable um but if we're not willing to do that like i want a different world for my kids i want a different world for my friends and so I can't just sit by and say, I want a different world. I have to do something to make that happen. So that means like, this is, this, having this conversation with you is way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> it's, it's not. I wasn't like, oh yay. I yeah, I felt like, yes, I should do this. I felt strongly, but it wasn't like I, I was, it was uncomfortable, but right. if I'm not willing to do the uncomfortable, then what am I teaching my children? And if I'm not willing to have the hard conversation so that I can learn so that I can better engage them so that we can, as a family, better, you know, engage with the world around us, then what am I, what am I doing? I don't want to just sit by and say, oh, that's too bad anymore. And that's, that no longer can be our strategy. Mm
0: -hmm. You know what, Leah, you are so right. And I would, from the beginning of time, we've always had white allies, right? We've always had white people that were abolitionists from the beginning of time who created safe spaces for us to go through, um, I mean, to go to, um, when things got really heated up for us. And that's what we need continuously. And for you to step out of your comfort zone and say, I truly actually want to show and lead by example to my children how you move into that role to stand up for people when you see something wrong happening. We are constantly modeling for our children. The behaviors that we see exemplified in people, these are things that we're taught, right? And your son is starting to observe and have questions about things. And as a parent, being responsible to indoctrinate him about what's true in history, right? Like our history has just been removed from textbooks. In certain textbooks, I've seen where it says slaves volunteered. <laughs> I was like, they said Black people volunteered.
1: You me earlier today, and I was like, wait, what? Um, but no, the huge, I, I think I mentioned this the other day that like my, my American history class in high school just stopped after World War II. Yeah it's just we ran out of time and we didn't get to the rest of american history exactly (laughs) um yeah yeah. so there's like things that i've learned in the last couple weeks that i was like wait black women couldn't vote until the 60s Mm. what
0: like i didn't i honestly didn't know that yeah until like a week and a half ago ago. because it's not Um, something you had to live yeah so yeah so having education is power right this is why it was illegal for slaves to read yeah. Because once people are educated, they can then liberate themselves. And so while being physically shackled, this educating ourselves means we wouldn't be mentally enslaved. And so this is why they made reading illegal for us. Because now it's like people in this country are getting educated, but not enough to ask questions. Right. So like you received a certain level of education that left you at a place of like, oh, okay, that's history, but not enough to make you start to question a lot of what's happening. And so that's the two separate worlds that we live in right in this country. Right. It's been the system is working the way it was designed to. So when people say the system is broken, I would tell them the system is not broken. The system is working exactly the way it was designed to right? So incarcerating people is another form of slavery, right? And so it's just, it's just evolving in a different way. You have people who don't want equal rights, right? And you'll have people, some people that come out and say it, and some people, they're going to be a lot more covert about it and not say it. They don't want equal rights because to them, the equal rights means giving up the power, giving up the access, not being seen as the superior group, right? And so it's like, I don't want to share my resources. Does that mean now I can't be wealthy if I have to share it with Black people, right? That's really the mindset of why people don't want equality. They don't want to have to give up the power, the privilege, the access. They don't want to share the resources. They feel like it's limited. And if we share it, then they're seen as equal to me. So it's starting to shift those mindsets. So a lot of what you hear, you know, it's just blatant ignorance from people. And ignorance meaning the actual dictionary term, and then the other side of ignorance. Yeah. And, and, and the truth is a lot of what people spew that's not true is information that p- came from their parents or grandparents, right? A lot of what we're taught comes from the people we love and trust the most. So we don't want to look at them as, as having lied to us or being misinformed. So a lot of people uphold those thoughts and values of what's been passed to them from their parents or grandparents, and they don't challenge it. You know, and I'll tell you the truth. Like, for me, I gained a lot more tolerance, acceptance, and knowledge once I started traveling and realized most of what I've learned in America is lies. (laughs) I'm like, wait, that didn't happen. That's not true. And when we go to other countries, right, we found that people there know their history. It doesn't matter who you ask. I can ask a homeless person, I can ask uh, the taxi driver, I can ask a chef. I still get the same story when we go to Europe. When we go to Africa, when we go to Asia, but in the US, you can ask three people about history and you'll get three different responses here. That's messed up. <laughs> oh well, it's it's intentional. <laughs> yeah. Think about it, right? If you keep people confused, you can control them. Yeah. Right? If so you then keep-
1: what do we do with that?
0: That's a great question. (laughs) That might be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) That is a whole nother podcast, right? But I think the start is what you mentioned, right? Like now, just even the teaching to your son, this has to start in the homes. Then it has to come to places like this where you and I are having this conversation, right? Like these conversations then have to take place between you and your friends in your circle and say, well, you know, and challenging them like, well, this is not true, right? When they say something that you now know is not factual, or just blatantly ignorant and say, well, that's not true. This is actually what has happened. And this is the impact of what you're seeing, right? And so it's being that bold and powerful. And it took it took a lot, right, for you to to come here on the show and to talk about this. But now it's now having those conversations behind closed doors where people can't see and hear you is where the true power lies, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, are you sitting at the dinner table with your family members who have these thoughts and not challenging them? right and not challenging them to create strife but challenging because you're like this is ignorance that you're going to go out in the world and continue to perpetuate that keeps us right where we're at. Yeah. So that is what I would say is is the very next step.
1: Good. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Um I thank you for being a guest on today's show. Thank you yeah, for having me. Absolutely. I want to continue to have conversations like these and and I now Uh, give you the charge to go forward with your friends, allies, family members, to have these types of honest and, and difficult conversations. In order for us to truly make the changes that we are seeking in this country, we have to be vulnerable and put ourselves out there to engage in the kind of conversations that Leah and I just engaged in. It's tough. And I commend her and applaud her for being bold enough and courageous enough to step onto a public platform to speak about these issues plaguing the country. I encourage each of you to do the same outside of your immediate circles. We need to engage in these conversations with people who don't think like us and with people that we don't engage with daily to understand the hurt and the pain and create spaces for us to have open and honest conversations so that we can actually begin the healing process and move forward. As always, I appreciate you listening in to another week on L3. Catch you next time. Love yourself and love the people around you. Peace.